0: Welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids who love the Lord and love each other. I absolutely love young moms, and it's my passion to encourage you and provide you with tips and tools to make your job easier. Thanks for joining us today. Today's session is, what do you know about the signers of the Declaration of Independence? But before we begin, let me read remind you that our podcast can be found on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and multiple other platforms as well. I am excited about this topic. Our family has been incredibly blessed and challenged by the ministry of David Barton of Wall Builders. He has volumes of primary source documents in his library from the founding period, and he has substantiated the information he shares. Rick and I had the privilege of going to WallBuilders and getting to see some of those documents and things. It was so fascinating. It was one of those things on my bucket list that I wanted to do in my lifetime. But I would highly recommend his website to you. It's wallbuilders.com. And I believe God raised him up for this particular time in our history to help us uncover the truth of our past that's been hidden from us who grew up going to public schools. So, I was listening to one of his presentations. It was back in 2018. And he showed the picture of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And he said, How many of you know any of these signers? And I could pick out Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and John Hancock. But that's all, three of the 56. And then he went on and he told some of their stories. And I was fascinated. But you know, I couldn't shake it. I wanted my children, I wanted my grandchildren, and I wanted this current generation of homeschool kids to know who these guys were. You know, they sacrificed so much for our freedom, and we don't even know who they are anymore. It's just its so sad. So I got counsel from David Barton about where to begin research. I decided that I would write a book about the signers of the Declaration. And you can see it behind me. It's for you they signed. So that was the beginning of a year and a half of research and delving into the lives of these 56 men. And he told me about this nine-volume set of books that was written in the 1800s. And it was written by a man who personally interviewed either the signers or their family members to get his information about them. And I had to kind of piece together, find them on antique book sites. Um, But I finally found them all. And then I began my research, doing one at a time. And, you know, I felt like I was uncovering hidden treasure. And I was. You know, many of them in their last will and testament wrote doctrinal statements about what they believed about Jesus Christ. And I was so blessed and tremendously challenged by the lives of these men. When I went back over and read what I had found out, what I'd researched, character just stood out and struck me that these men were people of character. They valued character. They strove to be men of principle and godly character. So I turned my book into a year's worth of character studies for families to learn together. And it comes with a free ebook. This way, families can print off pages. Like, we've got coloring pages of all 56 of the signers. So you can print off the coloring pages. And while you're reading about the signer, Your kids can color their pictures and hang them on the refrigerator and learn to identify them so they won't, like me, look at that picture and say, I don't know any of those guys, but two or three. So that the whole study is designed to help the family discover our godly roots and learn character together. The founders' purpose to be useful servants, you read it again and again in their writings, they were committed to God, like about 95% of them were born again by their own words. And they wanted to spend their lives serving the Lord. And this is what we need to communicate to our kids. You know, The night after the Battle of Bunker Hill, John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail. And an interesting read is the letters between John and Abigail. They were apart for much of the time of the War of Independence. But they were prolific writers and wrote each other letters. So you can learn so much history just from reading their personal letters. But he said, I'm well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see rays of light and glory. I can see that the end is worth more than all the means. His son, John Quincy Adams, later wrote, Posterity, you will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. That statement just pierced me deeply. You know, we've forgotten the cost. In most cases, we never really learned truly what the cost was. We grew up ignorant. God grant that we can change that fact and rediscover these truths and teach them to our children so that God will once again pour out his blessing on our land. You know, our freedom was bought with great personal sacrifice, and the founders were mindful of this. They were mindful that God was in their midst. The first Continental Congress opened in prayer. And it wasn't a routine prayer. It lasted three hours. This is the Continental Congress of the United States. Um, It was reported that even the Quakers had tears in their eyes. They read through four chapters of scripture, and they drew strength and special encouragement from Psalm 35. They felt that God had spoken to them, giving them courage that they could succeed. And throughout the whole struggle for independence, they acknowledged the moving of God in their behalf. It was customary for Congress, after it was established, to appoint days of fasting and prayer in giving thanks to God for his direct intervention on their behalf. In a letter from John to Abigail, he recounted to her the unexpected victories after repulsing the attack on Fort Mifflin. Our navy consisted virtually of large rowboats but they had managed to disable a 64-gun and a 20-gun British warship. And John declared to Abigail, it appears to me that the eternal Son of God is operating powerfully against the British nation. One British governor commented, if you ask an American who his master is, he'll tell you he has none, nor any governor, but Jesus Christ. You know, the Minutemen, they were basically groups of parishioners who drilled on Sundays after their church meetings. They were often led by their pastors or deacons. Samuel Adams, who we've learned is the father of the American Revolution, gave credit to Jonathan Mayhew, a preacher, for being the impetus behind it. I have hanging in my living room a picture of John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg, and he was a preacher who led his congregation. He preached from Ecclesiastes 3, about a time for war, a time for peace. And at the end of the sermon, he threw back his clerical robes to display the uniform of the militia. And he challenged his men, and they marched out and became the 22nd unit in Virginia. And it's, it's so amazing. Um, you know, More than half of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence held seminary degrees. And just listen to why Harvard, you know, Harvard we don't think of as a school that taught ministers of the gospel, but that's why it was established. The 1636 rules of Harvard declared, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and thereby to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself in prayer in secret to seek it of him. Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give an account of his proficiency therein. And in the appendix for you they signed, I also give um, rules they had for Yale and Princeton and the College of William and Mary. It's astounding how these men were trained. They were trained as ministers of the gospel. Even Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin, who were the least religious of the founders, had a deep respect for the principles of Christ. Jefferson, when he was president, made the Bible the main textbooks for the Washington, D.C. city schools. John Witherspoon was a minister of the gospel who trained other ministers. He published books of gospel sermons. You may have heard of the Thompson Chain reference Bible that we have still in use today. It was first translated from the Greek Septuagint into English by signer Charles Thompson. Benjamin Rush was the founder of the first Sunday School movement in America, and he helped create the first Bible Society. He wanted to be able to put a Bible in the hands of every American, and he helped invent stereotype printing to help accomplish this goal. Francis Hopkinson was a church music director, and get this, he set all the Psalms to music in America's first songbook. All the Psalms. Can you imagine setting Psalm 119 to music? Well, he did that. Thomas McKean was Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. And he resided over a case where a man named John Roberts was sentenced to death after being found guilty of treason. Justice McKean delivered his sentence and then preached to John Roberts right in the courtroom an exhortation to accept christ as his savior right away before his death so that he could spend eternity in heaven rather than in hell that was right in the courtroom this was a signer of the declaration just listen to some of the signers own words samuel adams said i rely on the merits of jesus christ as a pardon for my sins charles carroll said on the mercy of my redeemer i rely for salvation and on his merits not on the works I have done in obedience to his precepts. John Witherspoon said, I entreat you in the most earnest manner to believe in Jesus Christ, for there is salvation in no other. Now, we hear in our day that these signers were deists. That is not true. By their own words, you can see what they believed about Jesus Christ. You don't have to wonder. You can read them. They were all prolific writers. And there's a book that's used in colleges across this country called The Godless Constitution, talking about how all the signers were deists. If you turn to the back, it says something like, we've dispensed with the usual practice of footnotes because we all know the founders were deists. They have no proof for what they are teaching college students. No proof. And there is so much proof in the signers' own words about what they believed. Benjamin Rush said, my only hope of salvation is in the infinite transcendent love of God manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross nothing but his blood will wash away my sins this is maybe one of my favorites Roger Sherman of Connecticut I believe there's only one living and true God existing in three persons the Father the Son and the Holy Ghost and that at the end of the world there will be a resurrection from the dead and a final judgment of all mankind when the righteous shall be publicly acquitted before Christ the judge and be admitted to everlasting life and glory, and the wicked be sentenced to everlasting punishment. Now, does that sound like a deist to you? It's not. You know, they they were so they recorded what they believed, and you can teach your kids the truth. Kids across the country and colleges are not being taught the truth. That's only a sampling of what you will find and for you they signed, a mere sampling. You know, back in the 1920s, there was a movement started in part by a man named Charles Beard to rewrite American history and make it purely from an economic point of view. That was done. And today, we wonder why Christians vote their pocketbooks instead of principle. Our godly heritage has been plucked away from us. But it's not too late to recover it, and we must teach it to our kids. You know, one of the first signs of decay of a society is when their history is taken from them and that is happening so rapidly today. But you have the opportunity to teach your kids the truth. Did you know the American Revolution was not merely about taxation without representation? That's one of the reasons. That's one of 27. It's number 17 in a list of 27 reasons they sent to King George. Much more important was that King George would not allow them to create Bible societies or to print Bibles. He did not allow them to evangelize the Indians, and he would not let them discontinue the practice of slavery. Religious freedom was primarily the reason for the War of Independence, not taxation without representation. You know, when these signers placed their signatures on the Declaration of Independence, they knew that they were perhaps sacrificing their very lives. They didn't have to sign it, but they chose to. King George gave orders to capture them. There was a price on their heads. He hoped to stamp out the rebellion, as he called it, in its infancy by capturing its leaders. Benjamin Franklin, at the time of the signing, was heard to say, we must all hang together, or we will hang separately. If their efforts were not successful, they would hang. It was a serious thing, and they knew it. So briefly, I'm going to tell you some of what some of these guys sacrificed Again, it's only a brief amount of information that you'll find in that book. Abraham Clark, he was from New Jersey. Besides laboring greatly to gather supplies General Washington's army needed, he had two sons who served as officers in the American army. Both were captured by the British. Because their father was a signer, they were subjected to especially brutal treatment and confined on the British warship Jersey, where we lost more men than in battle Over 11,000 men died on the Jersey because of the loathsome treatment they received there. His son Thomas was the captain of the artillery, and he was put in solitary confinement in a dark hole of the ship and was not well fed. He managed to stay alive only because other prisoners pushed small bits of bread through a keyhole in his door. Now, back then, they had those larger keyholes, so another prisoner would push bread crusts through Abraham Clark was informed by the British that his sons were held captive and would be released only if he deserted the American cause. He rejected their offer. His sons were later released on prisoner exchange, but they were emaciated. They did, however, survive. The British were determined to make John Hart, also of New Jersey, their prisoner. John had 13 children and a sick wife who had a debilitating disease. She couldn't get out of bed. The neighbors came one day, and they warned him, the British are marching up the road to capture you. And they begged him to flee into the woods. They said, you were too important to the cause. And he said, no, I have to stay here and take care of my wife. They said, they won't let you take care of your wife. They're going to drag you away. We will take care of your wife. So he fled to the woods at the last moment. And he was hunted with fury. He was often in desperate need of food. He never stayed anywhere for long. One night in December, he found himself in the presence of a dog who was his companion for a time, and he had to sleep with the dog to keep warm enough to survive. Finally, after the Battle of Princeton, when the the British evacuated New Jersey, he went back home to find that his wife had died. His children had been scattered by the British. His farm was pillaged and destroyed. His own health was poor, and he died before ever seeing the victory of the end of the war. But he never repented the course he had taken. He enlisted himself in a good cause, and in the darkest times, he believed his cause would prevail and finally triumph. These are the men who forged our freedom, and we've forgotten them. Shame on us. You know, we need to teach their stories to our kids. Okay, so I'm going to wrap up this podcast, but I am going to share more next week about some of the signer's sacrifices, so be sure that you tune in. Let me close with this quote from Reverend Matthias Burnett. In 1803, he gave us this warning. Finally, ye whose high prerogative it is to invest with office and authority or to withhold them, and in whose power it is to save or destroy your country, consider well the important trust which God has put into your hands. This is so true for today. To God and to posterity, you are accountable for them. Let not your children have reason to curse you, for giving up those rights and prostrating those institutions which your fathers delivered to you. You know, we must take heed today. We are on the very brink of destruction of, as a nation if we don't rise up and stand in the breach. Isaiah fifty-eight twelve admonishes us, and they that shall be of thee shall build up the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of the paths in which to dwell that is our mission and i am excited for what your kids and my kids are going to do to be a part of this so you know we're going to raise up mighty warriors who will stand on truth and righteousness and we will again see righteousness exalted in this nation so my freebie for today is going to be a story that uncle rick wrote which is in our holiday book And it's Uncle Rick's story about the War of Independence, about the Declaration of Independence. And it's a four-page story. It will be free. You'll see it in the show notes, and you can access that and read it to your children. So thank you for joining us today. Remember to join us next week, and we'll continue this podcast, and you'll find out more information about the signers and also how we celebrate as a family on Independence Day. And remember, as always, any time that you spend teaching your kids the Word of God is never wasted. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.